So several weeks ago, <clears throat> I was out on the patio, the back patio. I was having dinner with my eight-year-old son, Micah. And we were just talking, and I asked him, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus going? He's eight years old. And he said, 9.5. And I was like, I didn't expect you to give me a number, but that's great. Um, and that's awesome. I'm, I'm really proud of you. That's, that's great that your number's so high. And, uh, and then we just began to chat a little bit more. I think we talked about Pokemon or something like that. And then after dinner, we went in the backyard and we started playing catch. I threw him the baseball. He caught it and then he paused and he came up to me and he said, Dad, the reason it's not a 10 is because I can't see him, but I know. And so actually, I don't know, but I believe. If you are a first time or with us today, or maybe you haven't been in church for quite some time, you picked a great day to come back because we're starting a brand new series today called Permission to Doubt. Mark chapter 9, Jesus had an encounter which was quite extraordinary. I want to read this encounter with you. When Jesus was on earth, he had 12 disciples with him, and he had three who were kind of like his inner three. Oftentimes, he would take them off to do something with them by himself. He would give them an additional teaching, or they would experience something that was extraordinary. And this was one of those moments where Mark writes, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And sometimes it's just good to get out of town and up on a mountainside where you can just kind of exhale a little bit, right? Maybe reconnect with God. Some of you have had those experiences. We'll call them mountaintop experiences. Maybe it was a conference or a retreat. Maybe it was you got outside in nature and you had a, a moment of refreshment where your doubts got smaller with God and your belief in God got bigger. And they had this extraordinary experience where Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Elijah, the great Old Testament miracle worker, and Moses, the one who led them out of Egypt. And it was this really extraordinary experience, if you can imagine. And Matthew records this experience as well, gives us a little bit more detail, and writes, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. It's good for you to be in church today. It's good for you to have moments of refreshing. It's good for you to have these mountaintop experiences that build up your faith. And maybe you've been there where you would say, when I'm on the mountain, when I'm away, my doubts get smaller and my faith gets bigger. When I was growing up, I used to go to a retreat center. If you've been around here for years, you've probably heard me tell you this story, but it was called Jamonville Retreat Center, which was just about an hour or so south of Pittsburgh. And it was great because you got away from all of the mire and the dirt and the, the difficulties of home, and you got away, and you got to reconnect with God. And we would go up on this mountain where this massive cross was. You could see it from miles away. And we would do like praise and worship around the cross. And it was just a really, really good time. And it, it built up my faith. I needed those mountaintop experiences like our kids need to get away and go on retreats and do mission trips to kind of build up their faith. This is such an important place for me growing up that I decided 
to propose to my wife, Jen, right at the foot of the cross. Now, this wasn't live. This was a reenactment. But my friend went up before us, and he put a sign on the cross that said, I love you, Jen, and I I proposed to her right there because I wanted the cross to be the foundation of our relationship. I wanted us to say, okay, Jesus is going to be the foundation. But whenever you, you know, have these mountaintop experiences, eventually you got to get off the mountain, right? Eventually you got to get back to everyday life, the life of a middle schooler, the life of a high schooler, the life of a teacher, the life of someone who's going about your business every day where you're dealing with the struggles of everyday life. This is the way John Erpberg describes it in his book, No Doubt. He says, here's the sad truth about the mountaintop. No one is allowed to remain there permanently. Everyone has to return to the valley of ambiguity, the valley of struggle, the valley of doubt. In some cases, the valley of the shadow of death, where you got to deal with some of your annoying coworkers and some of your peers that get on your nerves, and you got to listen to various arguments that make you think. And, you know, we, we experience those in everyday life, and this is what happened when they got off of the mountaintop. So eventually, they, they get off the mountain, and Mark tells us that when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And probably Jesus is thinking to himself, man, I can't even leave for like a couple of hours and my guys are arguing with the religious leaders. I mean, what, what's going on here? So he says, in the middle of this scenario is, what are you arguing with them about? Now, they say that John 3.16 is the most quoted verse in the Bible, but if you're a parent, that might be the most quoted verse in the Bible, right? Because you're like experiencing some quiet and then you Here's some commotion, and you go and you see your kids, and you quote this Bible verse, and you're like, what are you guys arguing about, right? We we have this Bible verse memorized, and we say it over and over again, and Jesus is like, man, I thought I could get away for a while, and now an argument has come out. He was hoping that his disciples would be able to do ministry instead of engaging in arguments. But anyway, this man in the crowd answered, teacher. So he doesn't know a lot about Jesus. He's heard rumors that Jesus is a miracle worker. He's heard that Jesus is powerful in word and deed. He doesn't know a lot about him. He's heard rumors, but he knows that he's a teacher. And he says, I brought you, my son, but you weren't anywhere to be seen. And instead, I had to deal with your disciples. And I brought you, my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. I got to tell you, Jesus, it is really, really bad. Whenever this demon seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Probably, Jesus is a little bit frustrated right now because he's thinking, okay, I've got a mission. I've chosen 12 disciples, and their mission is to take this message worldwide. See, Jesus wanted to empower his disciples, but his current reality was his disciples were powerless because they were engaging in an argument instead of doing ministry. So, you know, Jesus is kind of a little bit frustrated here. So he says, oh, unbelieving generation, probably referring to the disciples, how long shall I stay with you? 
I mean, I, I can't even leave for a few hours and things go crazy. How long do I need to stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? All right, just bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. You just picture this, right? There's people coming, the crowd's getting bigger and bigger, and this, this boy's foaming at the mouth and having seizures. And in this moment, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Has this just started happening, or has this been happening for years? And he says, from childhood, it's been going on for years, and it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Now, often is exhausting. And if you have a child who you can't even leave by himself for a few moments because you're worried that the demon's going to lead him into the flames, and if you're thinking, I don't even know if I could go to the grocery store for a few minutes because the demon might bring him into the Sea of Galilee where he'll drown, that's exhausting. So he says, but if you can do anything, I'm not sure you're able to do anything. I mean, I've heard rumors about you. I don't know that you're able to free him from this demon, but if you can do anything, would you take pity on us and help us? I titled this sermon, An Iffy Faith. Because this man has an iffy faith. He's heard things about Jesus, but he's not so sure Jesus can actually do anything to help him. And so Jesus says to him, if you can, said Jesus. And then he says, everything is possible for him who believes. Now, this word belief doesn't just mean, well, yeah, I believe. It, it actually means something deeper. It's a very common word used in the New Testament. It's used 241 times, and it means to place your confidence in or to trust. Right? So this man kind of believes, but he's not really sure. And so he says this prayer that I think is one of the best prayers in the entire New Testament. And I'm going to encourage you to say this prayer. This is so good. He says to Jesus, Okay, I do believe, but would you help me overcome my unbelief? I do believe, because I've heard rumors, but there's a big part of me that doesn't believe, Jesus, would you help me overcome my unbelief? You see, what this man has is a mustard seed size faith. And Jesus at one point in the New Testament said, even if you have faith that is the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Now, I just want to show you how small a mustard seed is. I can't even get one seed out because they're so little. Can we just kind of zoom in real quick so you guys could get an idea? Can you guys see that all the way in the back? I mean, this is, that is a small seed. And this man takes his itty-bitty amount of faith, which is all Jesus needs, and says, I'm going to bring my boy to Jesus in hopes that he'll heal him. See, this man was a mixture of unbelief as well as belief. I love what John Ortberg says in his book, No Doubt. He says, can we stop separating people into two camps? 
those who doubt and those who have faith, most people I know, myself included, are a mixture of the two. And maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what, I've had my mountain moment. My faith in in God is at a 9.5. Others of you may say, I'm really struggling right now. My faith is closer to a two or a three. Maybe you're here and you're not even sure you believe in God. But isn't it true? Isn't it true that often we're a mixture and one day it seems like we're high, high in faith, and then the next moment it seems like we're low? I mean, even in this room right here, I would guess that we're a mixture of faith where some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time and you got maybe a 9.5. Others of you are at the very beginning stages of your faith. And God's like, or Jesus is like, whatever amount of faith you got, I can work with that. I can work with that. So Mark says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. And he said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he dead. I, 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 think, Jesus, I, think, I think he's dead. I think Jesus killed him. I mean, can you imagine, right? All, the crowd's getting bigger. More people are getting there, and they're hoping to see a miracle. They're hoping to see something awesome. And they're looking at this boy who is not even moving. And they're like, this did not end like I was hoping it would end. And the next part of this faith, I, you know, there's moments where I read the New Testament, and I'm like, man, I wish I could be there. Or I wish when I get to heaven, I get to see, like, the movie. This is amazing, right? Because Jesus reaches down takes this boy by the hand and lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. And everyone's like, wow, wow. See, this, this boy's father, I don't know if he had like 10% belief and 90% unbelief. I don't know if he had, you know, 90% belief and 10% unbelief, but we do know that he was a mixture of belief and unbelief. And Jesus in that moment gave him permission to doubt. And because he exercised the little itty bitty amount of faith that he had, God moved. God moved. So after this, the, the disciples go with Jesus indoors and they ask him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? I mean, you were up on the mountainside, and we were hoping you could just have your time with Peter, James, and John, and we could kind of carry on the ministry, but why couldn't we drive it out? Maybe Jesus said something like, well, because you were too concerned about winning an argument with the religious leaders instead of doing ministry. But we do know that he said, this kind can come out only by prayer. Do you doubt God? you doubt God? Now, the answer for this is yes, most of us do doubt God. Even if you're a 9.5, most of us can say with honesty, I'm not certain because the only path to certainty is through the door of death. So a better question than do you doubt God, because for most of us, this is yes. A better question is, will you take a step towards Jesus anyway? 
Will you bring your boy to Jesus anyway? Will you bring your concerns to Jesus anyway? Will you take a step into the unknown anyway? Because after all, we live by faith, not by sight. You know, we see this principle not just here, but in other places in the New Testament. I want to share with you another extraordinary example. Um, The early church is recorded in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 12, the writer Luke says this, King Herod, who was in charge of the, the land of Judea right around Jerusalem where the church was starting to explode, he arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. So he had James one of the three that was on the mountaintop, the brother of John, put to death with the sword, which would have been devastating for the church because James was a resource to them. James was a brother. James was a friend. This was the guy that had experiences with Jesus that nobody else had. And Herod, when when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And I don't know why he didn't kill Peter But instead, he ended up putting Peter in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So here's the church. They're like, oh, we just lost James. Peter's in prison. He's our leader. Let's get together and let's have a prayer meeting. So they start praying. And then you read the text and you discover that Peter's shackles fall off by the power of God. The prison door swings open, and he is free, and he's walking to the streets, and he thinks to himself, I'll go back to the place where they were praying for me, right? So the text tells us that he knocked at the entrance to the door, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And maybe she went up and said, who is it? And he said, hey, it's me, it's me. I've been set free from prison. Because Rhoda, the text tells us, recognized Peter's voice. She was so overjoyed and ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And Peter's just sitting here knocking. Now, how do you think the early church responded to Rhoda's statement? Maybe they said, wow, that's awesome. God has answered our prayers. Praise you, Lord. You are such a good God. You know how they responded? They said to Rhoda, you're out of your mind. <laughs> I mean, they didn't even have enough faith to believe that God would actually answer their prayers. And the rest of the story is a little bit humorous because it tells us when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel. So they're getting in this little argument here. And I'm like, why didn't you guys just go open the door? Because Peter's just knocking on the door, it tells us. And when they opened the door and saw him, They didn't say, praise God. They're like, God actually answered our prayer, right? See, they had just enough faith to pray. They didn't have the kind of faith that believed that God would actually answer their prayer, but they had enough faith to pray. So, you have permission to doubt. You're not disqualified because of your doubt. You have permission to doubt, but you do not have permission to pout. You know how like those little kids start like like quivering? They're like lower lip. You know, oh, here it comes. 
Here it comes, because they're not getting what they want. It's about to be an explosion, right? So you have permission to doubt. You have permission to explore. You have permission to say, I got a whole lot of unbelief going on inside of me, but you do not have permission to remain stagnant and do nothing. I mean, it would have been so easy for the early church to do that, for them to say, you know what? We prayed that James would be taken care of. I mean, James was our guy. He was with Jesus on the mountaintop. He shared us stories that nobody else knew about Jesus. We prayed that God would protect him, but instead he got stabbed to death. So now that Peter's in prison, we ain't praying for him because obviously God doesn't care. But no, they didn't pout. Instead, they said, we're going to get together and pray, even though they didn't actually believe that their prayers would work. And in the same way, this man who had a boy who was demon-possessed, it would be easy for that dad to say, I'm not bringing him to Jesus. I've brought him to all kind of religious leaders. I've prayed. I have fasted. I have asked God. Nothing's worked. I'm not bringing him to Jesus. But that man displayed just enough faith to pick up his boy and bring him to Jesus. And I love this, this promise from James. He said, you come near to God, and he'll come near to you. You don't remain stagnant and pout because of your doubts. You get up and do something. You you take a step of faith, even though it might be a little bit scary, even though you may not know exactly where it's going to lead. Now, you might be here today, and, you know, we have people in our church who, again, are all, all, all kinds of different places in their journey. And you might be here, and you're like, I don't really struggle with doubt at all. I've worked through my doubts And my confidence in God is at an all-time high. And if that's the case, praise God for that. That's a gift. Faith is a gift. Praise God for that. But would you be merciful to those of us who do doubt? Would you show mercy to those who do struggle with their faith and at times get consumed by unbelief? Would you, as Paul wrote in Colossians 4, let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone? How many of you like salty snacks? So my wife, she'll go to Sam's Club and she'll get a thing of almonds, like a big thing of almonds or a big thing of cashews, and I'll go inside the pantry and I'll grab a whole handful of them and I'll be like, ah, and I don't want any more because they're salt-free and it's like chewing chalk. But you put a bag of salty cashews in that pantry, they're not going to last 10 minutes. I'm going to keep coming back for that salt. So he says, let your conversations always be full of salt and grace. You've been in a conversation with people before where you're like, I can only take this guy for like five minutes because it is just, it's not salty. It's like, ah, it's like chewing on chalk. Get me out of here. And you've been on other conversations with people who are full of grace. And you're like, I want to keep on having conversation with that person because they listen and they seek to understand and not simply to be understood. And they ask good questions and they have given me permission to doubt and permission to explore. I love this quote from Joseph Joubert, who's a French philosopher from the 1700s, he says, it is better to debate a question without settling it than to settle a question without debating it. It's good for us to just talk about our doubts openly, for us to wrestle with it, for us to give each other permission to ask questions about the difficulties in the Bible and questions about God. I love this passage from Matthew 28. This is the very end of Matthew's gospel. 
Jesus had already risen from the dead. And he's got them up on this mountainside and he's ready to give them what's been known as the Great Commission. And the text tells us that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So this is what's hopefully going to be a mountaintop experience. So they're all gathered together, all the disciples, and this is extraordinary. When they saw him, they worshiped him. It's like in this room today. Some of you worshiped him. Some of you doubt. They worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, what do you think he said to them? How do you think he responded? I mean, maybe he said this. Thomas and the other doubters, please get off the mountain because you clearly don't have enough faith. Now, the story of Thomas is interesting because when Jesus defeated death, the disciples said to Thomas, he's alive. And Thomas said, yeah, right. If I don't touch his wounds, I'm not believing. They're like, all right, well, okay. So a week later, Jesus shows up in front of Thomas and says, touch my wounds. And Thomas says what is one of the greatest exclamations recorded in the New Testament. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus looks at Thomas. This is so good. He says, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who believe and haven't yet seen. So here's Jesus with all of his guys, the believers and the doubters and the 9.5ers and the 4.5ers and everyone in between. And he's up on this mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee and the, the town of, of Nazareth, perhaps. And he gives them this commission, this mixed multitude. And he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And they're like, all the nations? We don't really leave this little land called Palestine. You're, you're going you're gonna to reach people with all the nations. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always till the end of the age. And this time the disciples get off the mountain and they change the world. Whew. So, do you have enough faith? Just a little bit of faith. Enough faith to take a step, to take a risk, to bring your boy to Jesus, to pray for those who are hurting. Will you come near to him? His promise is that he'll come near to you. This is your homework. Okay, here's your homework. I want you to go to beartownroad.org, and I want you to join a small group. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you, you're like, I don't want to do that. You have permission to doubt, not to pout. So don't pout. Go to the website, get in a small group. Groups start a week from today. So they don't start this week. They start next Sunday, September 17th, and they'll meet throughout the week. The other thing I want to, this is your other homework, okay? We're going to do a devotional together for one week. It's going to start tomorrow morning, and it's going to finish up on Sunday. It's seven days. It's called Permission to Doubt. And we're going to text this to you this afternoon. If you don't get a text from us this afternoon, email us at office at beartownroad.org, and we will get you this devotional so that we can all do it together, the mixed multitude of us, okay? 
And this is your last bit of homework. I want you to say this prayer at least once a day for the next week. God, I do believe, right? Because unless you're dragged here this morning by somebody, there's a chance that you have some belief, right? I do believe, God, would you help me overcome my unbelief and put your unbeliefs out in the open. I'll I'll do this myself right now, okay? Here's some of the, the things that I struggle with. Here's some of my doubts, that God is good all the time especially when I read some of the texts in the, the Bible, the violence and the, you know, God asked her Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. That's a tough one for me. Or the, the Canaanite conquest or slavery in the Old Testament. Those are difficult issues. I read that and I'm like, is God really good all the time? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about does prayer still work? I know it worked in that story you just shared 2,000 years ago when Jesus was there, but it, does it still work today? Some of you are doubting that. Or does he still work miracles? Is he still in the miracle working business? I give you permission to doubt. We're going to talk about this. It's going to lead us all the way up to Thanksgiving. And it's my hope that at the end of this series, you will have taken a few steps closer to God, to Jesus. And his promise is that he'll get closer to you. But you got to keep showing up. See, today you demonstrated enough faith to show up but you got to keep showing up, and he'll keep showing up too. Okay, one last, one last account, one last story. Disciples are in a boat, Sea of Galilee. Jesus is not in the boat. They're like, I wonder where Jesus is. All of a sudden, they look out, and they see him walking on water. And Peter, who's typically the one to jump first, says, Lord, if it's you, Tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Take a step of faith and take another step towards me. So he comes. Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Now, let's just pause right here. Think about this. He got to walk on water because he was willing to take a step of faith. Now, it, it doesn't end real well for him, because when he saw the wind, he was afraid, which happens to us a lot. We see the wind, and we see the struggles, and we see the numbers, and we see the relationships, and we're like, ah, right? And then we, we start to sink, but he cried out, Lord Jesus, save me, save me. And because he's there to pick you up when you take a step of faith, and even if you fall, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. And he said, you of little faith. And maybe Peter thought to himself, well, at least I got a little bit of faith instead of these other 11 yahoos who just got stuck in the boat. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, why'd you doubt? Let's talk about this. Let's lay it on the table. Why'd you doubt? And that's the question he wants to ask you today and me today. Why do we doubt? Why do we struggle? I give you permission to doubt. And the question isn't, do you doubt? Because it's probably a yes. The question, the most important question that the pages of the New Testament ask over and over and over again, this is the most important question you'll ever ask yourself. Will you follow Jesus? Will you take a step of faith? 
Will you take your little itty-bitty mustard seed-sized faith? Will you take a step towards him? And his promise is that he will come near to you. I don't know. I'm not certain. And if you're looking for certainty, you're never going to get it until you die. I don't know. I'm not certain. i got struggles. i got questions. Why hasn't God answered this prayer? Why don't I see miracles? Why is the Bible so difficult for me to understand? I don't know, but I believe, and most of us believe at least a little bit, and Jesus is like, I can work with that much belief. So would you this week say, I, I do believe, but would you help me overcome my unbelief? Would you be willing to take a step of faith into the unknown and experience Christ, maybe for some of you, like you've never experienced before? Would you take a step of faith in the midst of your doubts? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up right now. And we're going to sing a song that deals with this whole issue. And I love the lyrics to it. It goes like this. It says, give me faith to trust what you say. That you're good. That you're always good. All the time. Always good all the time. And that your love is great. You know, when I proposed to my wife and I put on the fence, I love you, Jen, that image has always been helpful to me because when I look at the cross, it's as if Jesus is putting a sign at the bottom of the foot of the cross that says, I love you. I love you. And I love how in the story of the man who brought his boy to Jesus, when the crowd started getting bigger, Jesus healed him before the crowds got bigger because he's more interested in the person than he is the crowd. So one thing I can say without a shadow of doubt and complete confidence is that he did die on the cross because he loves you, and he did defeat death, and he's with you. So this is our prayer. Your love is great, and I'm broken, and I'm busted up inside, and I've got some experiences, and I've got some unanswered prayer, and I've got some questions, and I have my struggles with the Bible. I'm broken inside, but I'm going to give you my life anyway. I'm going to take a step of faith anyway. I'm going to show up next week anyway. I'm going to get in a small group anyway. I'm going to serve that difficult person anyway because that's what you've asked me to do. I'm going to take a step of faith closer to you and I'm going to believe the promise that you are going to get closer to me. You got permission to doubt, but you do not have permission to pout. You do not have permission to stay exactly where you are. Would you take another step towards Jesus? And we like to say around here that we as a church are called to help each other take our next steps towards Jesus. So why don't you pray with me and then we'll sing this song together. I want to give you about 30 seconds to just be silent before the Lord. Think about your doubts. Think about your unbelief. And ask God to give you the strength to pursue him anyway.
Lord, I want to lift up the person in the room or watching online who has zero faith. Somehow they got dragged here. But I pray in this moment that you would give them faith that they would exercise it in whatever way you want them to exercise it. I pray for the person who's like a three or a four out of ten when it comes to their own doubts. And I pray that you would give them the strength to trust you in the midst of it. I thank you for the person who's here that's a 9.5. And I pray that they would give other people permission to doubt and love on them and help them to get closer to you. Lord, in a room this size, we are a mixture. But we know that you love working with mixtures and you can make the perfect cake at the end of the day. So would you give me faith to trust what you say, that even though I'm broken inside, give me the strength to give you my life. We pray this in the matchless, amazing name of the God of the universe who authored this scripture that we looked at today and also loves us so much that he gave his one and only son. That God who is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand together and sit.